Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Earth Podcast. This is Jake Martin, again with Christians on Campus, and today I'm here with Mike Boschlinger. It's good to be here. So uh, I guess we're officially in spring now. It just seems like maybe we're not going back to any more cold days. Thank the Lord for that, because I don't really mind the cold. I don't really mind the hot. It's just when it's going back and forth, that's where it, it gets a little tough for me, so... Just to know we're officially transitioning into consistent warm weather, that would be pretty nice. I agree. I was very, uh, very happy to be able to be outside this week. Took the kids for a hike through the woods, got to see a bunch of birds. It was just nice to hear the sounds of nature. Spring is upon us. That's a definitely, you know, it just warms everyone's heart. Everyone's just smiling. You just walk around campus yesterday, it's just like, wow, everyone is just seemingly more joyful because... That's what spring does. When winter is over, spring is here. Yeah, that's a really nice feature to have around the campus because, yeah, it's just a good feeling seeing so many Wright State students and, and any time we would get to spend at Sinclair, seeing Sinclair students actually happy, you know, to be there. So this, this week, this earlier this week, we touched two aspects of who Christ is, as prophesied by the Old Testament, we touched on him being the prophet of God to speak the words of God, and, and Moses referred to him that there would be one raised up from among the, ch- uh, the children of Israel right. who, is, who would be like Moses and, and who everyone would listen to. This was the Lord Jesus, and he also was prophesied as the king, who because some of the, the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, they didn't realize that there were different aspects to who he is as the king. First, he would come in a lowly way. Then, in a very overt, powerful way, they weren't able to recognize him. But now we'd like to go ahead and transition into two more characteristics of how the Old Testament speaks concerning the Christ. And, and, and so we'll, we'll go ahead and move into this. This is him being a priest him being the high priest, and him being the son of God. Right, and probably these two aspects were not that in, that much anticipated, although definitely the matter of him being the son was connected to even those, those ones that were around the Lord while he was traveling with his disciples. And there was, in, in many, many instances, this reference, son of David, son of David, so there was some realization that David David would have have a son and that is very much connected to what we're going to see that the son is on the one hand of the seed of David but we're also going to look at this son isn't just from David's seed and even the Lord himself at the very end of his life he asked the the ones that were testing him and trying him and trying to find some way to accuse him, put him to death. He asked them, what do you say concerning the Christ? Is he David's son? Or is he or how can how can David then say in spirit, My Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I set your enemies? So there was uh on the one hand, there was a clear reference that the Christ would be the son and the son of David, but that this son somehow would be greater than David. And how is it that 
David's son could be greater than David. And so there's a wonderful revelation here that is deep, and we might, we might not spend as much time as we could to really unpack all that's here, but I think it's really strengthening to our faith to realize these four things that the Christ, the coming one, the anointed one, the one God had promised had these four aspects. He was the prophet to speak the words of God. Uh, And actually, real fast, I want to read a verse just related to him being the prophet because I feel like this is just such a wonderful thing. And we have been emphasizing that many recognized that he spoke words that no one could speak, but also people rejected it. And in Luke chapter 4, there's just a little, the Lord is there, he's back in his hometown, and he opens up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads this, this portion from Isaiah, and then he says that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then in verse 22, it says, and all bore witness to him and marveled at the words of grace proceeding out of his mouth. But then it's interesting, and then they said, is not this Joseph's son? And then in verse 24, he said, truly I say to you that no prophet is acceptable in his own country. So even there was a rejection. There was a kind of, no, this one, even though his words are, are more, they're just too wonderful. They're the words of grace proceeding out of his mouth. Still, we know him. He, he, I don't think he can really be the prophet, you know. And, you know, his matter, the matter of his being the king, I think was there was a more definite, like, clear rejection of him. The verses we, we were reading, I think even in the last podcast, you read these verses that we don't have a king. Caesar is our king because there was a certain expectation or a certain thought that the king would do a certain thing. But there was, there was a need for a further revelation that the coming one wouldn't just have a, a coming. He would come also again. But this is not fully revealed until the coming one came. And the Lord was there even helping his disciples to realize he was going to come again. Of course, this wasn't until the very end of his life right. after he had died and resurrected, but he was there in resurrection saying, be, you know, even the angels helped the disciples, hey, why are you looking into heaven? Don't worry, you, you, need to, you need to go. Follow the Lord's word, the Lord's charge. Go, to, go into Jerusalem and even await the promise of the Spirit. You will behold him coming in the same way. He will come again. And so as we, as we now have this revelation of the Lord's two comings, we are clear regarding all the prophecies of him being the king and the king. And now as we're going to get into the son and the, and the priest, it's just so wonderful how the Lord was, he was the son. And as the son, it's very much intimately connected to his being the king because as the son, he did have a lineage. He was of the house of David. And as even Romans 1 says, he came according to the seed of David. He was of the seed of David. But let's look at these verses because there's some mystery that is kind of there that is opening up. This person, the coming one, he wasn't just human, but he was human and divine. Of course, we know as believers that because we're clear regarding the the divine trinity, that our God is triune. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three. So we have this clear utterance. 
And, and we know in his coming, he, he was the only begotten. John 3.16, God, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. Okay, that was a clear revelation that was brought to us in the Gospels. But this one, how do we understand, to go back to the, the question the Lord asked the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how does David in spirit call him Lord? Isn't the Christ the son of David? Okay, so you want to read the verses? To us in the Old Testament? Yeah, so in 2 Samuel 7, we have a, a prophecy that God spoke to David concerning his physical son, Solomon, but also all throughout the Bible, we have to learn this principle that God will fulfill something literally, and with that same literal fulfillment, he also has a prophetic implication. And so with this, these verses, 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 14, we see this principle here. It is he who will build a house for my name. So this is referring to Solomon building the temple physically in, uh, for God. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. So... There's parts here that can't apply to Solomon. Solomon's kingdom can't last forever. Solomon will pass away, and he did. He did pass away. So this part cannot apply to him. And some parts of this cannot apply to the Lord Jesus, because the Lord Jesus didn't... Well, he was... I guess you could say he was chastened with the, the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men in the sense that he had to undergo a lot of suffering in the hands of sinners. But he didn't need to be discipline the way that Solomon needed to be disciplined. The Lord never had any sin to be disciplined for. He just, he, he just had to undergo a lot of suffering to fulfill the will of God. But in any case, the point here is that God told David, I, I know you want to build me a house. I know you care to build up the temple uh, because you love me, but you don't get to make that decision. I am God and I will not use you to build the temple. I will use your son. But then prophetically speaking, looking forward, the, the one who builds the house of God in the New Testament, who is that? It's the Lord Jesus. Right. He said in Matthew 16, 18, upon the revelation that you saw, Peter, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, upon this revelation, I will build my church. The church, as Paul said to Timothy, is the house of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. So the Lord today is building the temple. He's the real fulfillment of these verses in 2 Samuel. But as the one building the house, who is he? He's the son. Verse 14, 2 Samuel 7. I will be his father and he will be my son. It's the son who is building the house of God today. And sadly, like you were saying, Michael, it's not that easy to see this aspect in the in the verses in the, in the Pharisees. It was for this very truth that that probably it made them the angriest that he would call himself the Son of God. And as John five eighteen says, to call himself the Son of God is even to call himself God. John five eighteen. Because of this, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. 
because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his own father, making himself equal with God. Wow. This infuriated the, the scribes and the Pharisees enough to make them want to kill him, but this causes us to love him so much because he's a wonderful person. He's of the seed of David. He is a real, genuine man, but he's also the son of God, even God himself. I really like that you brought brought us to the matter of as the son, he's building God's house. And this is why we need to see that for for him to be qualified to build God's house, which we know from the New Testament is a spiritual house, he needs to be both divine and human. So he needs to have God as his father. Solomon Solomon's father was David. But the Lord Jesus, he he was the son of God. And so God God was his father. He possessed both the divine and human life and nature. And as such, he is qualified to build God's house. And so this brings us, I think, to Matthew 16, where you have the first declaration or acknowledgement of this aspect that Jesus, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And immediately the Lord says to the one who declared that revelation, Peter, he says, Simon, and you shall be Peter, meaning stone. And upon this rock, which is himself as the as the one who is being revealed as the son of the living God, upon this rock, I will build my church. So it is so, so important for us to own the Christ as the son of the living God. He is the one qualified today, and he is the one today building us up together. His believers who, you and I, what's, what's your name? Peter, what's my name? Peter, when we got saved, when we met the Lord, like 1 Peter tells us, we came to him as the living one, the living stone, and he made us living stones. We now became material part of God's building today. God is building up his house, and I'd even like to just go now to Hebrews chapter 1, where there is this realization, there is this revelation of the Son of God. The Christ is the Son of God. So in verse 4, and I'm going to just go down. So in verse 4, having become as much better than the angels, as to have inherited a more distinguished name than they, for to which of the angels has he ever said, You are my Son? This day have I begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he brings again the firstborn into the inhabited earth, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom." So this is really wonderful. Paul is bringing us to to really realize the, the Lord's worth, that Jesus 
is the Christ, and as the Christ, he is the Son of God, so he is more distinguished. We should regard him higher than the angels. And why should we regard him higher than the angels? Because he's the one who is, he is over the house of God. So we all are the house of God, but he, as the Son, is commissioned and responsible to build up God's house, whose house we are. So praise the Lord, today we can we can own him, we can own the Christ as the Son, and not be like the Jews and getting offended at his speaking regarding who he was. But we have the revelation. The Father who is in the heavens, he delights to reveal to man his Son. And he likes man to see the Son, to hear the Son, because it is the Son who is building up his habitation, his house today. Oh, I'm so happy to be under the Son, so happy to love the Son, to see the Son, and to cooperate with the Son. I'm really glad, like where we started from from this little part when you you began speaking, you started with Matthew sixteen eighteen, and I think with that verse, I always think of the building up of the church and then Christ, like He's the Christ. But Peter doesn't just say the Christ; he says the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And it's so good you making that connection, just that as the Son, this is the one building building the house of God. We are. We're so happy to be under the sun today, and it's very easy for us to declare that Jesus is the Son of God. It was not that easy to see this in the Old Testament, but maybe we could look at some of these verses in the Old Testament to kind of open this up a little bit more. Sure. If we could go to uh, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Very good. These verses say, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government is upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. To the increase of his government and to his peace, there is no end. And here it is, upon the throne of David. So this mention of David again, this one is the Mighty God and the Eternal Father, yet in his reigning, he, he's bringing the throne of David. So there's this God and man together again over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it in justice and righteousness from now to eternity. The zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish this. So surely the the scribes and the Pharisees, they had this verse in in the scripture, but it's just not that easy to see the revelation here that even for us today, we say, okay, I know God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Yeah. Very distinct. And he, he is distinct. God is three, yet he's one. He is distinct as three, yet not separate as one. But this verse is so interesting. The Son is given to us. His name will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Right. You know, I think it's also helpful to, to realize that when Christ came, he was clearly identified as a man. You know, no one saw Jesus and just said, Behold, the only begotten Son of God. No, he, he was a man because he had been born of the Virgin and he was raised in a carpenter's home. 
and he had siblings, and he had an occupation. And so it was very clear he was a man. Yet, as a man, he was speaking words that people didn't, like, had never heard. And even as a man in his origin, there, there were things that were spoken regarding him that would, that, would, that would be his fulfilling the prophecy of the king. The king is coming. But also, we, we needed to, and we meaning mankind, we needed to identify this man is the son of God. And so, you know, it's interesting. In the Lord's ministry, when he would encounter the demons and the evil spirits, they would quickly confess, you are the, the holy one. And he would tell them, be quiet. Because they were spiritual beings. They realized who he was. But they needed, actually, to realize he was a man. And as a man, he was going to defeat them. And so even though Satan would come to tempt the Lord after his baptism in the way to always try to get him to take his stance or his position as the son of God with his divinity. But the Lord always responded as a man. It's not good for man to live only by bread alone, but by the words of God. The the Lord never, in relation to Satan, the demons, he always remained in this position of a man. But in his, in his seeking to be, be known by, by, by man, he needed them to realize this man is God. He's the son of God. He is, he's the one with divinity. He's the God-man. God with us, Emmanuel, and we need to boldly declare Jesus is the Son of God. And this is too too wonderful because now in his death and resurrection, as the Son of God, he didn't just cast off his, his humanity. Actually, he's still the son of man, and we, we need to own him as both the son of God and the son of man because as a man, he fully defeated the enemy. He fully conquered all the rebellious evil that was trying to overthrow God's, God's rule, God's will on the earth. But as the son of God, he can in, impart God's life into us. He can regenerate us. He can save us, and he can bring us into God's kingdom to build up God's habitation, which is every, absolutely a matter of life. It's not yet an outward manif- manifested kingdom. Today, it's, it's the reality of the kingdom. It's the reality of the life of God being sown into us, even so that we would be also the sons of God, born of God, with the life of God, yet also with the human life. The, the same as our Lord. He's the firstborn. He's our elder brother. And we are his many brothers who, who, are, who are following him, who are being even led by him into glory so that God would be able to manifest his kingdom, manifest his glory over the whole earth. I love you bringing out this 
this this truth just that we are we have been made the sons of God just like the Lord Jesus will never be the only begotten only the Lord Jesus can be the only begotten son of God in the Godhead but Hebrews mentioned it the firstborn this is also mentioned in Romans he, that he's the firstborn among many brothers this truth you see this again and again in the New Testament that God because he has both these natures he is a real man of the seed of David, and he is the very God himself. Then he can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He could bear the sins of the world. He could be the Lamb of God as this, this man. And then also as God, he then can impart his life into us. He can make us the sons of God. He can make us the reality of his kingdom until he comes later I, I think this is just marvelous because it, it shows us the importance of him having both these natures, the divine nature as God and the human nature as man. He's of the seed of David, but he is the son of God. And even this constitutes him as able to be a, another title that we see in the Old Testament, that he's the priest. Yeah. He's a high priest, not according to the order of Aaron, not like a Levitical priest to make sacrifices for themselves first and then for the sins of the people again and again and again. But he offered himself once for all in the blood of an eternal covenant. He's according to the, the order of Melchizedek, as we see in, in Genesis. But maybe we could start to talk about this aspect of Christ. I like this. Now we're making this turn to this final of the four points. Christ is the priest. He's the high priest of God. And as the priest, he is in according to the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a kind of mysterious person. He only shows up in one place, and that's in Genesis, where you know we have the record of Abraham, and Abraham gets news that because of some international warfare between five kings and four kings, his nephew Lot has gotten captured and carried off and spoiled, the spoils of war. And Abraham can't stand with that. He can't stand with his, his nephew being carried off by, by the enemy. And so he, he rises up with, with a few hundred, you know, 318 or something mm-hmm. men, and he pursues after the four kings, and he actually defeats them, and he even takes back all the spoil. And as... Abraham with with his men and all the spoil are returning. There's this one meets them, Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, the the king of of Salem, and he ministers to Abraham. He comes forth to minister the bread and the wine, and Abraham offers a tenth of all that he he had gained. And this this person has no other. There's no other place to find any information about him, yet he is designated quite quite something. And then you have this second reference in Psalm 110 that the Christ would be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. But then the book of Hebrews really develops this. And if we didn't have Hebrews, I don't know what we could say. Right. But Hebrews really brings out and praise the Lord, we have such a development of this, of this point that we could own 
Christ as the priest. And even we could receive his, his care for us as a priest. And not only as a priest according to the order of Aaron, although he wasn't according to the order, order of Aaron, he still, in his dying on the cross, fulfilled that priestly service to take care of sin because Aaron's priesthood was established to offer the sacrifices so that there could at least be the covering of sin, the, there could still be fellowship between God and man through the, the offering of the animal sacrifices, the Lord being the unique sacrifice, the, 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 the spotless, blameless Lamb of God who could take away the sins, who was the, the sacrifice to please God, to open the way again for us to be able to approach God. But in this aspect of his being the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, he, again, this points us to his, his coming in to fulfill God's purpose, which is a matter of his being both divine and human, his being a God-man. And like we see in the account in Genesis with Melchizedek coming to Abraham, Melchizedek served the bread and the wine. And so Christ today, as our high priest, is serving us. What is he serving us? He's serving us himself. And even it was brought out in the Bible study yesterday. This is exactly what the Lord told his disciples to do until he comes again, to remember him with the bread and the cup, to enjoy the life that he has released, that he has imparted into us, signified by the bread, which fulfills God's original intention to be life to man, to be man's content, so that man could be one with God, could express God, could be built up together as God's habitation, God's house. But then also the cup that man could, we're sinners, Right. We need the blood. Yes. And we don't even ever see we all eternally we will we will remember what the Lord accomplished for us as our redeemer. He is forever the lamb on the throne. And as our high priest today he is ministering to us according to our needs. We are tempted to because of our failures, our our mistakes to pull away or to shrink back, or, or even to, to neglect the great, what even Hebrews call so great a salvation that has been afforded to us. But we need to see a vision and receive the revelation of Christ as the high priest so that we would never shrink back. He's accomplished everything. His blood is perfect. It is, it is able to cleanse and remove every sin. And it gives us the boldness to come forward, to receive mercy and find grace for timely help. He is there ready to minister to us and to dispense the bread and the wine so that, again, we would continue to be one with him in his fulfilling God's purpose and his bringing us to the goal of God's salvation that God and man would be blended together, would be one together. And this is absolutely a matter of our taking the life 
of Christ that he has released on the cross are allowing that life to grow and foster and be developed in us so that we we could really be the habitation, the house of God, for the kingdom of God, for the expression of God on the earth today. This, this point about the house of God and the expression of God, I think this helps us understand why it's so important for us to realize that what order of a priest Christ is. Because if Christ were only a priest according to Aaron, he would only be offering himself for forgiveness of sins, and that's it. Forget about God's purpose. Yeah. There's no going beyond. You just, okay, we're sinners. The Lord redeemed us. This, of course, is wonderful, and this is our foundation. Right. Even in eternity, the Lord will be the, the Lamb of God on the throne with no end. So we will always know him as the Lamb. We will always have that, that basis of our relationship with him. But he's not a, a priest according to the order of Aaron. He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which like you were bringing out from Genesis 14, also from Hebrews 7, which opens up that, that part of Genesis 14. This is to minister the bread which is God's life as the Lord opened up in the Gospels related to his table and the cup, which is his blood shed for forgiveness of sins. Both of these aspects are brought together, the blood for our forgiveness and the bread to satisfy us with God's life so that we could grow until eventually we are made fully God's house and God has his full expression and his purpose fulfilled. So it, it's so wonderful that we have these verses in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Having, therefore, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is it? Jesus, the Son of God. There it is again, the Son of God. Let us hold fast the confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. Because he's a man, too. He's the Son of God, but he can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses because he's also a man. But one who has been tempted in all respects like us, yet without sin. Let us therefore come forward with boldness to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace for timely help. Just a great little point you were bringing out there that we don't have to shrink back from the Lord. Yes, we are sinners and, and we're doing our best to follow the Lord and we make mistakes and that can be discouraging. But it's so encouraging. We can come forward with boldness to the throne of grace, to our high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, and receive mercy and find grace for timely help so we can go on and we, we can continue participating in God's purpose being fulfilled. I want to also then read the end of Hebrews 7 because it's also very encouraging along these lines, starting with verse 25. Hence also he is able to save to the uttermost those who come forward to God through him, since he lives always to intercede for them. For such a high priest was also fitting to us, holy, guileless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and having become higher than the heavens, who does not have daily need as the high priest do. This is Aaron's, you know, that priesthood according to Aaron, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for those of the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Isn't this so wonderful? And then the last verse of chapter 7, 
For the law establishes men as high priests who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which was after the law, establishes the Son, perfected forever. So how wonderful it is to our faith, to our going on as believers to really interact with the Lord as the Son and as the high priest. This really affords us the way to get over the humps or the valleys that just come because we do have the flesh, we are fallen, we do have, we're prone to wander, we're prone to leave the Lord, but we have a high priest who is higher than the heavens and he is ministering to us, he is interceding for us, he is ready to apply his death, all that it accomplished, all that it, that, that it affords us and his life so that God could gain what he's after. Not only would man be satisfied because our needs are met, but God's need is met because Jesus is the son of God and the priest of God. Our, our elder brother Jesus and our wonderful high priest, able to be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses, yet able to bring us into God's eternal purpose, God's intention from the beginning so that we would be his habitation, his house, his household, his family to express God, to represent God on the earth today. I think that pretty much summarizes the, these two titles. Uh, I think it's really encouraging what you just shared, and we, I think that could be a, a good place for us to go ahead and end this episode. We'd just like to say thank you to all those who are listening and watching. And if you like what you heard and would like to hear more, please like, share, subscribe to, and review this podcast. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode. Hey, everyone. This is Abby. Don't forget that we have a weekly Wednesday night dinner and fellowship. We like to gather together to eat, play games, and enjoy each other's company during the school week. Check the Vine app and our group me for details. See you there.